0: In a relationship with Jesus, that absolutely can help us deal with the worry monster. And we're going to look at a story. We're going to look at first at, at some real simple, direct advice from one of the leaders of the early church, whose whose own he, he he writes. I'm going to show you. I'm going to use him as an example. I'm going to give you the advice he gives, which is very powerful. I use it myself, and I know lots of people uh, who've who've dis- embraced this little. Approach to dealing with worry and it absolutely works. But it's born out of real living. And the man who wrote this passage, we're going to look at the book of Philippians, and it's a letter from a Christian leader in the first century named Paul. And he started the church in a a Roman colony, and then later on he wrote a letter back to them because they were going through some really difficult times. And because of the familiarity that uh, Paul had with this church, there's so much in this letter that's that's kind of like that language that couples have and people who have gone on vacation together and have had experiences together and he references things and talks about things that sometimes we don't get it, but they would get it. And the, one of the things that he talks about in here is he, as he gives them this advice is uh, When he talks about dealing with worry, he talks about it from a man who's faced worry over and over and over again, that it's actually for him an an occupational hazard, because he was a church planter in the first century in the Roman Empire, uh, traveling without the comforts and and things that we have today, and going into very hostile places, and he was uh, beaten up, and he went through uh, privations, and... Uh, loss and pain and confusion and struggle. In fact, one of the uh, lines of, uh, of a song that we sang, uh, struck down but not destroyed, persecuted but not forsaken. Uh, I'm not sure I'm, I'm saying it right, but that was taken from one of Paul's letters that he wrote to another church where he was describing how he felt. And he was saying, I, I've, I've been this, but I'm not this. I've been this, but I'm not this. And he was describing a very difficult circumstances. So what we're going to read today, when I read this, it may seem glib, sort of cheesy. Oh, gosh, this guy, there's no way this will work. There's no way. This doesn't even relate to me. I want to encourage you to resist the temptation to dismiss how simple this sounds as a solution for worry, Okay. And, and right up front, I want to tell you, there's, there's two kinds of worry. I mean, I, I'm, I might be oversimplifying. There's two kinds of worry, and I'm only going to deal with one today. There's the worry that comes from your circumstances. The worry about work and relationships and money and health and, you know, things that, that are, they have a, a basis in reality that you can see around you and you feel the burden of that. Then there's another kind of worry, which is equally real and equally a part of reality, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an inner reality of anxiety. And I'm not going to talk really is, uh, tangentially about dealing with anxiety. And in other words, people who have what's called post-traumatic stress disorder, where you've had some traumatic experiences in your life, and, and anxiety just visits you. And it doesn't have anything to do with any big circumstantial Uh, stress in your life, or it could be. It could mix right in with it. You feel both of them. But a lot of times, anxiety just comes and, and visits when it wants to visit. And a lot like worry. But worry can be way more predictable because if you go to work and you hear there's layoff coming, you start worrying. You understand? Some of you know that. My daughter works at Chase. Her whole uh department got laid off she got it came into work one day and she'd been getting promoted and she you know and they just said we're gonna lay all of you off hundreds of 700 people why did we do anything no we just decided you know restructuring and it would be better for the company and you know operations etc well she you know she got another job in chase but for about a month and a half she was worried gosh at the end of november i'm not gonna have a job and they told her back in the summer, and. Uh, between you and me, my daughter worries a lot. <laughs> and so she'd call me, gosh, Dad, are you praying for me? Because, <laughs> I, I, you know, please pray I get a job. And, I, Aren't you praying? Yeah, yeah but, I, you know, you have like a hotline. <laughs> so um, I'm praying. But she worries, you know, she's worrying. But she got a job, so she's excited about that. Uh, okay, let's get into it. Philippians 4, I'm sorry, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. Philippians 4, verse 5, the Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let's read that one more time. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's real simple there. He says, if you do this, God will do this. But he starts by reminding them something. He said, and this is really important. Because we tend to approach... Christianity in our faith as Americans do that it's it's this utilitarian thing that we just if we plug the right things in the formula, it all just works it 's not like that at all it there are practicalities and principles but but it's not it's not something that we use to to fix our life where we struggle it's a way of life and Paul starts with something. He's going to tell them, don't be anxious about anything, but instead pray. And if you pray and you bring those concerns to God, His peace will guard your heart and, and, and fight off the worry monster. But what he says first is he grounds it in something that, that is the heart of the gospel The Lord is near. He says, The Lord is near. Now, you've got to think about that a second. When you're in the middle of something that's making you worry, that's a pretty good thing to be reminded of. But it's not necessarily something that you really believe at that moment. Because when you're worried about something, again, remember worry is a, a, a concern that you can feel in your body. That's what worry is. Worry is a concern that you feel in your body. There's a concern you have about some circumstance in your life. Work, relationships, health, you name it. And the the concern of that is something that you feel, you carry, it affects your sleep. You get backaches, headaches, all kinds of ways that your body reacts to the concern you have about that thing outside you. And so those things can get really big. And God, when those things get big and get close to us, God feels really far away. And Paul starts off, he says, if I'm going to help you with worry, you've got to remember the Lord is near. See, the gospel says that God saw us in our distress and he came and his son Jesus, he came into the very middle of the world we live in and inhabited it and lived perfectly, lived, lived the way of life that all of us should aspire to live and lived it for us in our place even when we didn't want him. And then he went to the cross and died. And in his, his death, he canceled and broke the power of death and sin and sickness and every single bad thing, even though it looked like a complete, utter failure and disaster, that God was in that. And that when God raised Jesus from the dead, it was vindicating What he did on the cross. And saying that what Jesus did on the cross, as foolish as it looked, as counterintuitive and and upside down as it seemed to everyone who was there, that God was in that. And that whoever puts their faith in Jesus can experience the power of what he did there in their lives. And it will begin to turn their lives around. And they will experience a a new creation. You know, there's different terms in the New Testament. You'll be born again. And that that promise is available to everyone just by believing in Jesus and committing your life to Him. And he says that He's near. That Jesus who came, lived, died, was buried, rose, and and ascended back to the Father. And then He sent His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live in us and to make Jesus real to us. And all He did real in our lives. That God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is present working in our lives and among us, He's near. He's near you. When you feel gripped by worry, when you feel it in your body and you can't sleep and God seems so far away, you start with the Lord is near. That Jesus said when He was leaving His disciples and He was sending them out into the world to tell the story ...of his life, he said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. And I'm going to show you a story here in a few minutes as an example of this. Because Paul came by this wisdom about how to deal with worry honestly. As I said, he faced worry over and over and over. It was an occupational hazard for him. But he knew, and the thing that he held on to, and you'll see when we look at the real life story here in a second... He had to to believe the Lord was near or what he does in this wouldn't make any sense. If you don't believe God's near, you won't pray. Do you understand? You will try to do the best you can do to resolve the circumstances. But how many times does that really change your circumstances? Now, some of you feel it right now. I just want you to stop for a second. I do this every once in a while. And some of you think, John, this is so strange. I wish you'd find something else to do, stuff like this. The Lord is near right now. He's near here right now. He's near to you right now. Now, some of you are are, are in tune with that. As you've worshiped, you sense God being here. You know, when you woke up, some of you woke up this morning and it was like the Lord was there waiting for you. like, I'm so glad you're awake, Shelly. I'm just, now I can spend time with you and you can know it. I've had mornings where I've woken up and it's like that. And it's like the Lord's there. And I know he's always there, even if I don't have that sense of he's waiting for me. And some of you go, that sounds cool, John. How do you, how do you get into that? The Lord, every one of us here, the Lord waits for you to wake up. Because he wants to enjoy you and he wants you to be able to enjoy him. He is near you. I just want you, just for a second, I want you to close your eyes with me and just, you know, begrudge me this. Just put your hand on your heart. Close your eyes. Put your hand on your heart. Just rest there a minute. Lord, I just ask that each person that's here, as we look in your word here, that They would just have a deeper grasp of how near you are to them. That deep within their soul and their spirit, something would awaken right now that you've drawn close to them through your son Jesus and that you want to walk alongside them and live in them every day for the rest of their life and forever and that you're here with them right now. You are near. And I just pray the blessing of that would become more real to them and tangible to them. Thank you for that gift of your presence. So, okay, now you can open your eyes. So, that's where you got to start. And then what he says is real simple. He says, Tell God what's going on. That's what prayer is. And sometimes we think, doesn't God know that already? Of course he does. But part of what he calls us to do is to draw near to him by praying and tell him and communicate with him what's going on. Two things. Tell him the story of what's going on, what you're concerned about, and then tell him how you feel about that. You know he really cares about that? If it's upsetting to you, if it's keeping you up at night, tell him that. If you're afraid, if you're angry... Bring him into that. That's what faith is. It is sharing your heart with him and your life with him. And and articulating what's going on to him. And then, boom, you will see what happens next. But thanksgiving is part of this. When we give God thanks... We're saying, God, everything I have comes from you. I depend on you. I trust you. I'm grateful to you for what you give me. And I have friends this month who on Facebook, they are, they're doing a, a, a thank God for something every day, sort of a little exercise. And so every day they're just trying to think of something else to thank God for. And, you know, if you believe in God, Thanksgiving should be a normal part of our lives. And it isn't always, and so we miss what Thanksgiving brings, what it does to our hearts. But it's, it's, it's part of this relationship we have with God. It's something that as we practice it, it deepens our relationship with Him. God isn't desperate, like, oh my gosh, if they don't thank me today, I'm just going to feel so insecure and so uncared for and insignificant up here. He didn't make us because he needs us. Do you understand that? Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Someone told me that this, like, blinds you. (laughs) Hide this. He didn't make us because he needs us. God doesn't need us. We need him. And everything he commands us to do deepens our relationship with him. It connects us with him. It connects us with the life that he makes us to live. And the people who reject thanksgiving, they, re- they reject something good for themselves. Don't look at it like I've, I've said to you before. Don't look at certain things like, I got to do this. Prayer is not something you have to do, prayer is a gift, prayer is an opportunity, prayer is a privilege. And we have to free ourselves of these notions of prayer's obligation. And pressure. Paul says here, bring the concerns you have, present your request to God. Tell him what's going on. And then he says, What will happen is as you do that, and you keep doing that, as you feel it, this peace comes from God that guards your heart and mind. So what he says is, the 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 foreign intrusion of worry that invades your body that you feel. Worry is a a pressure that you feel in your body. He says if you will take the concerns you have and turn them into prayers and keep turning them into prayers, describing the story you're going through and describing how you feel, God will send his heart, his his peace that goes beyond understanding, like you can't even get it, how you could feel so peaceful in the middle of whatever circumstance you're in. And he says it will guard, it will take up guard, and he's using a technical term, which is is like one of those words in this letter that's an insider's word. He says it will like, God will set a whole garrison of soldiers around your heart, To protect it from worry. And Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians when he was in prison being guarded by soldiers. And and so he used a word. You see what he's saying? He's saying, they think these soldiers are stopping God's word from going forward. They think these soldiers are keeping me and God from being tight. They think these soldiers are you know, the Romans have these silly notions that that they can stop God. And he's writing this letter that went to those Philippians and encouraged them that we're still reading. And he described how God, what was interesting, was that the Jewish leaders were always trying to kill Paul. And at a certain point, God used the Romans to protect Paul from the Jews. It's, it's, it's an ironic little thing. Maybe you don't think it's as funny as I do, but I guess. Do you get it? Not, I mean, it's not like, ha, 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 funny, but it's, 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 it's I think it's a, a, a clever point that, that Paul brings out. And some of the language he uses, let me give you the example. If you go back to Acts chapter 16, Paul, when he planted the church in Philippi, He got thrown into prison one day because he and his team prayed for a slave girl who was uh, possessed by this demon that predicted the future and that her slave owners would make money off of her. Well, one day, she was kind of following them around and harassing them day after day after day. And he turned around and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, go. And the spirit left her and she couldn't tell the future anymore and she was worthless She wasn't worthless, but to them, she was worthless. And so they took Paul and I think it was Silas. I don't know who, who, Paul and Silas to the magistrates and said, these guys, you know, have cost us money. And they started beating them up and they threw them into prison. And so that's where the story picks up. And in verse, uh, let's see, verse 22, it says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten after they had been severely flogged They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. You ever seen the stock thing? You know, put your feet in there to lock them down. They throw vegetables at you. They didn't do that here, but, you know, you've seen that in the movies. Okay, about midnight. So during the day this happens. Paul's beaten up. They're in the stocks. What do you think you'd be doing at that moment? be pretty miserable, be complaining. Where are you, God? I did all this for you, and this is what happens to me. What kind of God are you kind of stuff, right? That's what comes out of us when we're delayed at the checkout line, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right? So it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the prison doors flew open. Everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself because that's if if a prisoner got away, they would torture you before they killed you because your job was to to secure the prisoners. And under Roman law, if you're you're a jailer and and, uh, someone under your... uh, Care gets away, they make an example of you, so it discourages anybody else taking bribes and letting people escape, right? Oh, I was asleep, and, you know, these 22 prisoners escape. Well, they go, well, then, you know, we're going to torture you before we kill you. And that's a pretty good deterrent. Uh, worked back then. But Paul says, no, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Now, this is the guy who, who was just abused by the jailer, and he's showing the jailer kindness. I, I don't know about you, I'd be tempted at that moment to just not say anything for a minute or two more till he finishes the Harry Carey moment and then, okay, we can all leave. But Paul had a heart like God's heart and he saw this guy. God did this for all these prisoners and for this man. Paul saw his plight in a different light than you know, we might see ourselves and our circumstances. And so... The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and trembling, fell before Paul and Silas. Because the jailer lived in the jail, or at least in close proximity to it. So he's hearing the singing. He knows about Paul and Silas because they've been preaching all through Philippi, winning people to Christ, miracles, all this stuff's happening. Prominent people in the city are coming to faith. So he's got an idea what's going on. And he says, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Anyway, he gets baptized, his whole family, they take care of him. The story ends pretty well, but this is an example. This is the kind of situation out of which Paul wrote this wisdom he gives us on how to deal with worry. Don't you think he was worried in that prison? I would be. I don't think, I think any normal human being, if they were conscious, would worry. He's sitting there in the stocks. He's been beaten. He's probably wondering... What kind of bacteria, if you understood what bacteria was, <laughs> what kind of infection am I going to get? Am I going to get sick down here? What about my friends? What's happening to the people in the church that we planted? Are they all, being, are they all suffering too? Am I going to die here? What about my friends in other cities? I mean, he's, he's just probably on a merry-go-round of worry. Anybody would be. You feel the concern of your situation. You feel it in your body. You can't escape it. You can't just go, oh, go away, worry. I'm not going to think about you. Now, you could take some really strong alcohol and if you drink enough, you'll forget about your worries for a while. But they'll come back because they're real circumstances. Paul's laying there with Silas in the stocks and he starts doing what he says to us. The Lord is near. The Lord is with me. The Lord's been with me. Jesus went through this kind of treatment already. He doesn't... Look away when his people go through it. He draws near to them. That's one of the the precious promises in the Old Testament that that was repeated by the psalmist. I'll read one of the passages where the psalmist says it. He says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And over and over, God says the Jewish people experienced it and so they wrote about it. They experienced when they were in these horrible situations where they felt God forsaken and they started calling out on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and they experienced Him drawing near to them. And many times, like Paul experienced here, they saw Him get involved in their circumstances and deliver them. But it all starts with, The Lord is near. You don't praise God and sing to him unless he's real and near. And so there's an assumption. They don't say, Paul and Silas didn't say, The Lord's here, so now we're going to start praying and singing hymns to him. They did that because they knew he was near. They knew Jesus. They saw what God was like in his son Jesus. And they saw Jesus who he stuck with his friends. It says even when when those who loved him... Left him. He loved them to the end. They didn't love him, but he loved them. That's the way it always is. We never love God the way we're supposed to, but he always loves us the way he loves us because that's his nature. That's who he is. We can count on him in a way we can't count on anybody else. And the thing is, those instincts of our experiences with other people bleed into our relationship with God, and they make it hard for us to believe that we can call out on the Lord and he'll meet us but if you start with the premise he's near he's here then when you begin to call out to him and say Lord where are you I'm really struggling I'm hurting can you see what I'm going through here Lord my my job getting out I'm getting downsized you start describing to him what's happening make it clear to him in prayer don't just say, God, I'm losing my job. That's it. He wants to know what's going on. Talk to him like you talk to someone else. Right? He wants to be involved in your life that way. And then it says, the peace of God. Now, here's the thing about peace. Paul experienced both kinds of peace. The, the, usually the most immediate peace that we need to feel is this peace in our heart and our mind. When we, when we let our requests be known to God and, and say, God, help me. Get me out of this mess. Where are you? What can you do? You promised you'd deliver me. You, you, you do that. This peace comes from God and it guards your heart and your mind, your feelings and your thoughts, your soul. And it, it's beyond what you can generate on your own. It's not some mental gymnastics you're going to. It's peace that comes from outside you. And right after this, in Philippians, he says the God of peace. So the peace of God comes from the God of peace. But the word peace there, remember, it's a real important word in the Bible. Here we're talking about a a peace of composure and rest and freedom from worry. But it issues in a peace in the world that's shalom, wholeness, in every area of life. When we begin to pray and the peace of God invades us, see, when the peace of God starts coming into, into someone, the peace of God starts penetrating into their life and into their world. And peace was never just serene circumstances, mellow, kind of, you know, groovy feelings. It is that, but it's more. It means wholeness. It means things are the way they're supposed to be. That God breaks in. Into our lives and reveals Himself and cares for us and provides for us and protects us and guides us and loves us and reconciles us and does all and heals us and does all the things that we we're feeling concerned and worried about. But this prescription for dealing with the worry invites us to experience this internal peace and in God's time the external peace that breaks out into the world around us. Because God just doesn't want people who are like mellow. I'm mellow in the storm. He wants us, he wants to take care of the storm too. But we, we leave that up to him. When we pray and we begin to connect with him this way, we be, it changes your perspective. Things get clear. You start getting this sort of grounded sense of the way things are. And it comes from outside you. It isn't something you muster inside yourself. It's something God gives you. Everything we have comes from God. He's the source of everything. And we can try to be self-sustaining, but we, that's, that's an illusion. We could try to make it on our own. We could try to, you know, white-knuckle it, but that's not the life that God meant for us to experience at all. Now, when... if The, the simple way you can... Apply this as, and, and remember it is. When the worry monster shows up, turn your concerns into prayers and the peace of God will come. It will come. The peace of God will come in your heart and the peace of God will begin to bleed into your circumstances. It will. It always does. Eventually. Sometimes it's wrestling to get there. It is. It doesn't happen immediately. It isn't like flipping a switch. Because so many times, we've allowed worry to take such deep root inside us that it takes peace, time, to get down in the depths of our being where the worry has taken root and taken hold of us. And then... Sometimes the, what God's dealing with outside of us involves other people who have free will. And He just doesn't manipulate people because we pray. God works with all the people around us and us, and it's just this huge chessboard of, a, of, a, of life. But He's the one that's in control. He's sovereign. Paul, who, who as I said, wrote this letter, the, these Philippians know that he's writing from prison, but he's been in prison before and God's bigger than the Rome, than Rome which is the imperial empire that under which they, they all live. They see the Roman soldiers garrisoned everywhere. And Paul uses all this language He mixes it together and says, I know all that stuff is real, but God's bigger than that. God's greater than that. And he is near you. And if you turn your concerns and the prayers, the peace of God that passes understanding will, 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 like soldiers, protect your hearts. Sometimes he'll protect your hearts from the soldiers that, that are making you concerned and, and it's wearing on you. Now, this is, a, this is something that nobody can do for you. There Anybody that can do this for you. What's cool, though, is people can do this with you Because Paul and Silas, the example we see in the prison is, Paul and Silas prayed together. Again, this is this theme that, that the Bible gives us. It doesn't ever give us prescriptions that are meant to be experienced individually. They're meant to be experienced in a community. And God's slowly doing something here in the vineyard, which we prayed about for years. He's slowly pulling us into... A greater and greater sense of unity and saying we can't do this alone we can only do this if we do it together we've tried so much to do it alone and it hasn't worked and we tend to think the bible must not work the gospel can't be true but it is but it's meant to be experienced and lived with others deeply connected together depending on others Hence, my daughter calling me and saying, Dad, would you pray for me about this? And I know all of us pray for our children, but I pray for all kinds of people and people that aren't even my friends. We're a community, but there is a a specific community that God makes us part of, just like there's a a family that we're born into. I wasn't born into the human race. I was born into this little family whose last name was Lieb. And it shaped me and it made me who I am. And then I came to Christ in college in this particular community and it shaped me and, made, and it formed me. And the only thing that God says isn't good. The first thing he said that wasn't good in the world was when he saw man and, and he said man was alone. He said it's not good for anyone to be alone. And so God's trying to work on that in our lives and say this whole prayer experiment where you turn your concerns into prayers that bring the peace of God the context of that working is in a community. It, it, it ha- you have to pursue it in a community. And it can't just be a utilitarian thing you use either. Because this, is, this, this promise doesn't work if you're just trying to make Jesus an accessory in your life. He's a nice accessory. He's like the most special accessory I have. But you know... An accessory is an accessory. God means to be the center of our lives. And the good news of the gospel calls us to make a decision about whether or not God's going to be the center of our lives. And the only way that can happen is if we put our trust in his son Jesus and we say, Jesus, you're in charge. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live by the grace you give me. And I'm going to believe that through your death on the cross, I can be reconciled to God, and that's the only way I can experience the life you mean for me to live. Now, some of you here, you've heard that before, but part of the problem you have with worry is you've never, ever grounded your life in Jesus completely. You've always looked at Jesus, like your family did, as an accessory to your life. My family raised me going to church, but it was a holiday sort of a thing. And it wasn't in the center of their life. They did it because that's what... uh, They were Protestants. They were Americans. I would have said I believed in God too. But I didn't really follow Jesus. That's how. Belief in God is is not just something that happens in your head. It's something you do with your whole being. Trust is something you enter into with your whole being. So if you really believe in God, you have to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. He's the only way to God. He is the, that's what the gospel says. Now, you, maybe you're not ready to believe that. That's cool. I, I was talking to some people this week about how I think it's so silly for people to think, like the church has in the past, we take heretics and we want to burn them to death. And we, 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 you know we put the wood underneath them and and this happened in Switzerland under John Calvin, for, for one. And it happened in the Protestants and Catholics and all kinds of groups have done this to one another. You're a little heretical. They put them on a stake, put wood around them and go, okay, we're going to light the wood if you don't recant your lies. What kind of a change of heart do you think is going to happen at that moment? Is that the kind of conversion we're looking for? I mean, that, that's what's happening in the Middle East to Christians. You know, Muslims persecute them and they say, we're going to kill you if you don't renounce Jesus. And I, I just wonder sometimes, do they really think that that makes a difference? People come to con- conviction of faith after wrestling and time and thinking. And then you make the decision, yes, I want to do that. But you, th- that's what faith calls for. It calls for this wholehearted commitment. Now, I want to ask any of you here today, two things close. I think there's a couple of people here. You, 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 it's time for you to make that decision. I think you know enough to make that decision today. That, are you going to follow Jesus or not? Is Jesus going to be the center of your life, or is he just going to continue to be an accessory? And maybe you are a little reluctant because you know that that's going to ch- you know, upset some things in your life, the way your life works. So be it. Jesus was willing to have a lot of things upset in his life for your sake, It's the least that you could be willing to live wholly for him if he lived wholly for you. But he's, I believe that the Lord's knocking on, as the saying goes, the door of your heart today. And saying, will you follow me? Will you give your whole life to me today? Will you say yes to the invitation? I want to come and live inside you. I want to make you a different person. But will you surrender your life to me? I want to ask you. Secondly, there's some of you here, you've really, really been wrestling with worry. And you're a follower of Jesus. And before you go today, we just want to gather around you and just pray for you as your brothers and sisters in Christ. That God would help you to give voice to what's concerning you. They're real things that matter to you. They matter to us and and more importantly, they matter to God. And just before you leave, we just want to gather around you. And just pray that God would hear you. That he would uh, help you to get, get that up and out of your heart and bring it to him. And that, that peace would start coming that you're looking for. Because some of you, you're, you're whipped right now because of what, what the worry has done to you. Worry is something you feel in your body. And it takes a toll on you. It stresses you out. And we want you to walk out of here with less of that and more peace. And it could come from any number of reasons. It doesn't matter. And you don't even have to say what it is. You have to say it to God but you don't have to tell to us if you're not comfortable doing that because maybe the people that are going to be around you that are going to pray are not people that you're that close to. That's cool. You don't need to do any more than just say, I'm feeling that worry. Would you guys pray for me? So, first of all, who is it that feels that kind of worry? We're going to just close with with praying for you. Just wherever you are, just stand up. So it's always easier because people get, their hand gets tired. So just, Eric, you don't have to stand up, but... anybody else you got some worry that you're feeling family members work money health uh might be someone that's close to you you know they're the ones that are under the stress and you just are concerned you're feeling it yourself anybody else okay cool there's a few now whoever's standing if just a couple of people who are around them could just stand and pray for them and like we do just interview it's interesting it's all women all the guys, you're just a rock, aren't you? Just, yeah, I'm just like a rock. Not Nothing's bothering bothered me. No, oh, okay, good. Steve, there's one. I see that one guy back there, all right? <laughs> two. Sorry, there's two. Okay. Thank you. So gather around them, and let's just pray for them. And whoever is here, as, we're praying for, as people are praying for them, I'm going to just pray a simple prayer. If you've ever asked Jesus in your life, I want you to do it today. I want ask you to do it today.